Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. As we continue this look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Years ago, I said something at the beginning of a sermon, and Craig Remlinger came up and he rebuked me for it. This is years ago. He, he won't even remember this, or maybe he will. And uh, I, I'm going to say the same thing this time around and risk being rebuked by Craig again. I don't feel super ready for this sermon. I have looked at it and read and read and read and read and read, and it's just been hard to come together. So I'm going to do the best I can, and I pray you'll cut me a break, all right? And let's see what the Lord might have for us today. I want to preach on just a couple little phrases here in chapter 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Last week, if you were here, I, I, I took that first little phrase, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, to be something like the record of the origins of Jesus, and that that is a title for 1-1 all the way through the end of chapter 2. And so we, we pulled out some themes about the person of Jesus in chapters 1 and 2. One of those was built upon the next little phrases, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that indeed Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, that God made promises in the Old Testament, prophecies in the Old Testament, and expectations were built that the Messiah was going to come, and the people of Israel had to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, and yet God came through and fulfilled his promise to Abraham, to David, all of Old Testament anticipation and expectation. God kept his promise. He was the long-awaited Messiah who has come. That was just one point of last week's five-point sermon. I want to build on it a little bit today. God keeps his promises. Jesus, Matthew tells us, is the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you know your Bible, you know chronologically Abraham comes first and then David. I think Matthew begins with David because he's seemingly focusing upon the fact that Jesus is in particular, the, the ultimate son of David, the king, who was promised to come. I want to flip the order and start with Abraham and then move on to David. You can leave Matthew 1 now and let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is the record of the creation of the world. Six days of creation, God speaking into existence all that is, and in chapter 1, verse 26, we see the crown of God's creation, mankind made in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Incredible verses. The height of God's creation is that he creates man and woman in the image of God, which probably carries the idea that under his kingship, they would serve as vice regents. They too would be little kings, if you will. Serving God, but as the text says, ruling over this magnificent, beautiful world that God had created. They were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people in the image of God who were in relationship with him, in relationship with one another on a beautiful earth forevermore. Seemingly that was the intent that God created a place and a people who would know him and love him and trust him and obey him and rule over the world for him. But if you know the story in chapter 3, everything went wrong. Adam and Eve sinned and broke their relationship with God, and it broke their relationship with the created world, and it created a big mess. In Genesis chapters 3 all the way through chapter 11, there's a key word that's used five times over. Curse, 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 curse. Genesis 1, God blessed them. But with the coming of sin, curse, 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 curse. Of course, into that Darkness now, God made that initial promise in chapter 3, verse 15 to the serpent who had led them astray. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. A promise that one day a seed from the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. Theologians call it the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel. It's the first promise that God is going to do something to fix the problem that has come into the world. The problem grew worse. Not only were Adam and Eve removed from the garden, but then... In chapter 4, Cain kills his brother Abel. We see Lamech and his polygamy and his arrogance. In chapter 5, the refrain, and he died, 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 and he died. And in chapter 6, things are so bad. The Lord said in verse 3, My spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 100 
and 20 years. And in verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I've made them. And in verse 8, Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord, and so God chooses Noah and his wife, three boys and their wives, and God is going to destroy the earth and start over anew with Noah and his family. And so the flood comes in chapter 6 and 7 and 8, and God does exactly as he said. He destroys the world. And Noah and his family come forth from the ark, and God, it, it appears, is going to start over with them. Makes a covenant with them. The rainbow in verse 20, the Lord built an, or Noah built an altar to the Lord, took every clean animal and every clean bird, offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the smoothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So God makes this promise that he's not going to destroy the earth again in that way. But there will be consistency to world history such that he can begin and ultimately carry out his saving purposes in the world. Well, we got Noah. Yay! Only problem is Noah's just like Adam. No. Just as Adam took of the fruit of the vine, sinned, we find that Noah, to whom God, just like he had said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply, Noah sinned by taking of the fruit of the vine as well. Things weren't any better under Noah's leadership. His descendants began to populate the earth and as they were meant to spread out and fill the earth in 11, chapter 11, verse 4, they came together. Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people. And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. Nothing will, which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. It's a mess. And in chapter 12, God is, the way I like to say it, going to begin in earnest to make good on his promise to bring forth a seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. And the way that he will do this is he will choose a man named Abraham and make some promises to him. Chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, who eventually God will change his name to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house 
to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Now, we saw the word curse five times in 3 to 11. We're about to see it five times in these two little verses. And many think that's poetic on Moses' part. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. One scholar wrote, Abraham emerges within the structure of Genesis as the answer to the plight of all humankind. The line of disaster and the curse from Adam through Cain, through the flood of Babel, begins to be reversed when God calls Abram and says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God chooses Abraham and says, I'm going to make a great nation of you and I'm going to give you a land and I'm, I'm going to bless you and through you I'm going to bring blessing to the entire world. God is going to fix what went wrong in Eden. God's purpose to have a multitude of people filling a beautiful place which he had made in wonderful relationship with him and with one another got destroyed by sin. But God is going to, through Abraham, eventually turn it all around. And he's going to match curse, 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 bless, 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 bless. God's going to reverse the curse. And God's going to, if you will, take things back to the way they were and probably even better. He's going to make them ultimately better than they even were. I think it's worth noting Sometimes we think that God's intentions in the Old Testament were to bless one nation, Israel. And that we get to the New Testament and God changed his mind and now has the nations of the earth upon his heart. And that's not true at all. God's intention from chapter 1 was to bless the entire world. That went wrong. And in Abraham, God is going to do something different than he even did with Noah. With Noah, he decided, I'm going to destroy all these nations and start over with Noah. But when it went wrong again with Noah, God said, I'm not going to do it that way. In fact, I'll make a promise that I'm going to let history be steady through the Noahic covenant, the promise I'm not going to destroy the earth like that again. And rather than destroy all the nations, I'm going to create a new one. And through this one, I'm going to bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. Matthew says that Jesus 
is that descendant of Abraham through whom blessing comes to all the nations of the earth. You don't have to turn there. Paul said the same thing in Galatians chapter 3. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. So there is much more to look at regarding the Abrahamic covenant and how God continued to make promises to Abraham and sharpened some things and formalized some things and the like. But I think when we read in Matthew chapter 1, when David says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, maybe one of the things we're meant to remember is this. Jesus is the one that was promised through whom blessing would come to all the nations of the world, which that's you and me. Unless you're Jewish, you and I are part of the goyim, the Gentiles, the nations of the earth. And this promise of blessing has come to you and me. It's already beginning to be fulfilled. It's got some things still waiting. But you and I have been restored to a relationship with God through this son of Abraham who has brought blessing to us. One of those great blessings is that through his cross work, Jesus' work upon the cross, sinners like you and me from all the nations of the world can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Matthew says, Jesus, he's the one that God promised was going to come through Abraham and bring blessing to the entire world. Now, he also says that Jesus is the son of David. As the story of the Bible continues to march along, those promises, if you will, are made to Abraham and then move on to Jacob or to Isaac and then to Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons and to one of them, Judah, was given the promise that from Judah, a king is going to come. And the story moves on and the story moves on until eventually in 1 Samuel, the nation of Israel asks for a king. To Samuel, we want a king like all the other nations. And, 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 and Samuel says to them, are you sure? And they say, yes. And sadly, they got a king like all the other nations. They got Saul. And Saul brought stability to the nation, but Saul was not a godly man. And he sinned greatly against the Lord. And God took the kingdom from Saul and said, I'm going to give it to a man after my own heart, which was young David. David became the king of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And then, if you will, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
David becomes king in chapter one. He begins to defeat Israel's enemies and wins many, many victories. And in chapter six, he, or in chapter five, he, um, if you will, wins the city of Jerusalem and he makes it the city of David. And in chapter six, he, he, he brings the Ark of the Covenant there to Jerusalem. And in chapter seven, David has great aspirations to build God a house. He has in mind a physical house, a temple, that will be the center of the nation's worship in the city where he would reign as king. And he would, if you will, mediate the blessings of God to the entire nation as he, the king of Israel, would obey God and call the nation to obey God. And as David the king did that, and as the people followed him, God's blessings would come to the nation. But God said, you know what, David? You're not going to build me a house. In fact, I'm going to build you a house. In 2 Samuel 7, God promises, makes a covenant with David. And when David was talking about a literal house, a temple, God was talking not about a literal house, but a dynasty. Pick it up in verse 4. In the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in it? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle, Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name. That's, that's touching back to the Abrahamic promise. Remember, God even promised Abraham, I'm going to make you a great name. Like the names of the great men who are on the earth, and I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Again, that's that promise of land, a place, right? God, in Genesis 1, had created a place, the whole world, had placed them in the Garden of Eden with with the idea that they would extend that to the ends of the earth, That got all messed up. God called Abraham, said, I'm going to give you a land. And from that land, they would be a blessing to the whole earth. And that got messed up. And here's David, God making promises that I'm going to to plant them in in their own place. Nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and and I will establish his kingdom. God has in mind here Solomon. He shall build a house for my name. And in fact, Solomon, David's son, did build the temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
David, I'm going to build you a dynasty. It's going to last forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. So there's going to be this father-son relationship between God and the, and the king of Israel. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of men. And we know that king after king after king after king within Israel sinned against the Lord. But there was this father-son relationship in which God was intent to work with them and lead them and help them. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. Three times, forever, forever, forever. This is called the Davidic covenant. It's the promise that David's throne will have a king who will reign forever. The nation of the kings of Israel, sadly, just as Adam failed, Noah failed, Abraham's a sinner, Isaac's a sinner, Jacob's a sinner. Judah's a sinner. David's a sinner. Solomon's a sinner. Rehoboam's a sinner. On and on and on and on and on. Eventually, God put in, put in, the Babylonians came in and destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah and took them into exile, and there was no king reigning anymore. Isaiah picks up on that in Isaiah chapter 6. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Commentators think he has in mind there the Davidic kingdom was like a tree that had been felled. It had been knocked over when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah. But the stump remains. Isaiah will go on to prophesy. This is after David, and this is talking about the captivity and the destruction of the Davidic tree. In chapter 11, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was David's daddy. And a branch from its roots will bear fruit. The idea meaning from this stump, a Davidic king is going to pop up again. I think Matthew is saying Jesus is that son of David. 
Jesus is the seed of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham who's going to bring blessing to the entire world. Jesus is that ultimate son of David who's going to reign upon the throne forever and forever. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, when this is being announced to Mary that she's going to have a baby, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. When Paul talks about the gospel in Romans chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, For the sake of the gospel, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. This is the king who was to come. Not only is he the seed who's going to bring blessing to the world, he's the king who's going to reign over the whole world. And let me just continue to read a bit here in Isaiah chapter. Let me read you some famous verses first from Isaiah 9 and then some more from 11. And what I want to do in just the last few minutes is hopefully let's just get a feel for this king's reign. A child will be born to us. This is from Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be king. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah said a child's going to be born, a son's going to be given, and he's going to be a wonderful king. Chapter 11, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. For he will delight in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. Meaning you can't bribe him. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. 
Righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. This shoot is going to come forth from David's stump. And he's going to reign. And he will be wonderful. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament promise. The seed that will crush the serpent's head, the the descendant that will bring blessing to the world, the son that will reign forever and forever. Jesus has come in fulfillment of all of those promises. And he's going to make good on all of them. He has inaugurated his new covenant promises with his life, death, and resurrection. And he is beginning to spread that blessing to the entire world. All the nations of the world are being blessed through Jesus the Messiah. And according to the New Testament authors, Jesus died, he rose, he ascended, and sat down at the right hand of his Father. It looks like the New Testament authors interpreted that to be the already reign of the Davidic king. That Christ is reigning now in righteousness, in justice, as a wonderful king and lord. And we await the day of his return for what theologians will sometimes call the not yet fulfillment of all the promises. Already, not yet. As as sure as he made good on the promises of God in his first coming, just as sure will he make good on the promises of God in his second. And so you and I are to believe and to trust in the promises of God that he has made to us. Just a few little Sunday school class that I've been teaching over the last several weeks. We've been looking at the book of Romans. And when you get to Romans chapter 5, it's as if Paul assumes, if you will, that by Romans 5, you have put your faith in Jesus. In the early chapters, he shows you that you are a sinner. But then he shows you what God has done through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith in Jesus. He's assuming you have put your faith in Jesus and you've been justified, declared righteous. Assuming that, he then says, there's something I want you to know. Twice over. You shall be saved. You shall be saved. 
What expectation can we have? Having come to faith in Jesus and been justified by him, forgiven of our sins and declared righteous by him. Paul says, here's a couple of, here's one expectation, but let me say it twice. You shall be saved. You shall be saved. It's a promise from God. Bank on it, Mitch. Another would would be not not, not merely that, that we are united to Christ and thus we are in relationship with God and we will escape the coming judgment and be saved but our bodies will be resurrected. Paul writes that that on that day when Christ comes, he will transform the body of our humble estate to be in conformity to the body of his glory. We are weak, we are frail, we are sick, we are diseased, we are dying, and unless the Lord returns, we will die and be buried six foot under. But there is the promise of resurrection and eternal life in a body and the fullness of God's intentions for us. We mentioned it early on in Genesis chapter 1, what God seemingly intended to do, create a people, give them a place. They would be in relationship with him and fill the earth And it all got goofed up, but what's coming? Revelation 21 and 22. In fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise and the Davidic promise, that that there is full bore blessing that's coming. A group of people filling the earth, renewed in the new creation, in loving relationship with one another and in intimate relationship with God forever and forever. Those are promises. They're out there. Is God going to make good on them? Matthew says God keeps his promises. He made some promises, and here he is in Jesus. And you and I can bank as well that God is going to keep every promise that he makes to us. Let's pray. We began by singing joy to the world. The Lord has come. We sing it at Christmas, seemingly about the birth of Jesus. It it, it may well be about the second coming of Jesus, the, the second advent. One of the things we sing in that song is, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as 
far as the curse is found. Father, we trust that there is a glorious future for your people. That's coming all according to your plan and all because of your son, the Lord Jesus, the King. We will sing in that day, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. Help us never, ever forget our God is love and has been from the very moment sin entered the world initiating and executing a plan to share your love eternally with your people. Amazing stuff. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.